I'm Brooke Gurley, and you are listening to Untold Stories, the cases that shaped the civil rights movement, presented by Law and Crime. This podcast is the audio adaptation of my video series titled The Untold Stories of the Civil Rights Movement. And now, on to this week's episode. What's up, everyone? It's me, Brooke. Thank you for coming back to this page, whether you're watching on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, or somebody's random something, whatever. Thank you so much for coming back for part six, or six in sign language, of the Untold series, where I look at what I think are important civil rights cases, and I discuss them and break them down for you and tell you why I think they're important. Okay, so this week we're looking at a very important case in civil rights, and it is Plessy versus Ferguson from 1896. And this case was sort of alluded to last week, I think I said this in my my, um, video for part five, um, where the civil rights cases were really like a precursor to this case. And whereas with the civil rights cases, the court said, hey, you know, the 14th Amendment doesn't prevent citizens from, private citizens from discriminating against other private citizens because the 14th Amendment is about state actors. This case actually deals with um, state laws in, in the discrimination there. But let me not get ahead of myself. So let's back up, shall we? So let's get into the facts of the case. What are the facts of the case? They're actually pretty, in my opinion anyway, I think they're pretty interesting. So the plaintiff was Homer Plessy. He was a black man, but he was only one eighth black or what's called an octoroon. And this case takes place in New Orleans, the NOLA, shout out to the NOLA. But it happened in New Orleans and Plessy, Homer Plessy, probably should be pronounced Plessy. But anyway, Homer Plessy, he is an octoroon, he is one-eighth black, he is a very high yellow black man, all right? Barely black, spoke French, his grandfather was a white Frenchman, blah, blah, blah. Um, he's asked by um, an organization of other fair-skinned Franco-Americans called the Committee of Citizens. They also, it was said in French, but I'm not gonna try to butcher the French. And they asked him, hey, so there's this law in Louisiana called the Separate Cars Act which said that black and white people could not ride on the train together. They had to have separate accommodations, separate trains for both races. And so they wanted to challenge that because they believe that that law discriminated against them and was unconstitutional, that it violated the 14th Amendment. And so they asked Homer Plessy, would you go up there? You're light enough to get onto this white train. Can you do this for us? Get on the train and then sort of say, hey, I'm black, you know, whatever. So he's like, sure. So then in 1919, but in... 1892, he boards the train. He's on the white coat in the white coach. He goes up to them. It's like, yo, I'm one eighth black. What you gonna do about it? And they're like, we're gonna arrest you. So he got arrested, thrown in jail. Goes to trial, not trial, but he goes to court. Um, and the judge there, his name is actually Ferguson. So it's not the defendant. It's not the state. Ferguson is not the name of the state actor, or well, it is a state actor, but it's not the name of the. Um, Legislator is not the name of the warden or anything like that, or even the, the train station or the train company. Uh, Ferguson is the name of the judge. Plessy's lawyers filed these motions saying this case should be dismissed because the law is unconstitutional. The judge is like, no, it's not. It's fine. It's cool. It's whatever. So then his lawyers file a motion. Obviously, Ferguson denies the motion, and then it gets appealed all the way up to the United States Supreme Court. So what this is, essentially, is that Plessy versus Ferguson started out at what is known as a test case. So it's when you want to challenge a law, but in order to do that, you have to have what's called standing, it's a whole other thing, which means you have to be personally affected by a part of it in like a 
very tangible way. So you sort of find somebody to be a plaintiff and you have them challenge the law like Plessy did and um, you create a controversy. Now you have standing, that, or at least that person has standing to take it up before court. And um, that's what happened here. That's also essentially what happened with Brown versus the Board of Education. They found plaintiffs to challenge a law. So yeah, Flessy's case is really a movement from black citizens challenging these laws that they feel were violating their rights, their constitutional rights. And so they took this test case and as you say, took it up the, the flagpole to see what the court said. And so the issue in this case is pretty simple, straightforward, is does the separate car act violate the constitution? Is it unconstitutional? Plessy is also looking at too here, is that there was a, um, a Supreme Court case, Hall versus, and I know I'm gonna say this wrong, DeCure, but there, there was a law that involved two states and again, the trains. And uh, I think it was Mississippi or Louisiana, I'm messing up. But um, the state legislator said, "Hey, if you are discriminated against, you can sue for damages." And the Supreme Court said that that state had no uh, legal authority to pass that because it dealt with interstate commerce, and interstate commerce is something that Congress deals with. Now, keep in mind interstate commerce because that's going to become important later on when we look at other legislation, civil rights legislation in the 20th century. So. Because the Hall case dealt with interstate commerce, meaning um, things that happen between states, Plessy's case was important because it dealt specifically with what happens within the state of Louisiana because that train never left the state of Louisiana. Um, so it's saying, okay, but can states do this within their states? Can they have separate um, train cars within their state? Is that constitutional? The holding. The court ruled... No, it's not unconstitutional. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's for you. It's fine with me. The reasoning. Well, the court again looks at the two amendments because I believe um, Plessy's, Plessy's um, attorneys challenged it under the 13th Amendment. But of course, after the civil rights cases um, in 1883, that that argument was that was just a non-starter. Starter. The court was like, no, this has nothing to do with slavery. So then the court looks at, well, does this violate the 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause? And essentially what the court says, it says a lot of things, but it says one, um, just because you have racial distinction amongst the laws, so long as the law provides equality with underneath it, then it should be fine. So the court has no problems with the distinction with legislators making a distinction or recognizing that there is a, a distinction between the races. They said so long as it's reasonable because Plessy's lawyers were like, well, what's the difference between them saying, well, you have to have a separate car if you know your hair is a certain length or you know you got to paint your house a certain color and the court's like no one would ever be that ridiculous it has to be reasonable so then the next question we must ask is is it reasonable to have these separate accommodations and of course the court says yeah sure it's reasonable given everything that's going on and then the court says something and i just again one this is one of those things where you just have to read the language one it says we consider the underlying fallacy of the plaintiff's argument to consent in the assumption that the enforced separation of the two races stamps upon the colored race a badge of inferiority. That's a lie, but basically what they're saying is the, the faultiness in your reasoning is that you assume that just because this law separates the races, it means that it's placing or making black people seem inferior. And the court's saying that's just erroneous. That's an erroneous assumption on your part. Then the court continues. 
If this be so, it is not by reason of anything found in the act, but solely because the colored race chooses to put that construction upon it. So in other words, what the court is saying here is this. Listen, black people, if y'all feel like this law makes you seem inferior, that's in your mind. It's not, it's not real. It's because you choose to look at it that way. It's similar to the arguments of, look, if, you, if we would just stop talking about race so much, then there would be no race problem. Black people keep this race problem up. And the court is saying, again, this is 1896, so we're, what, 31 years outside of slavery? People, again, who remember slavery are saying, look, if you feel inferior because we're making this distinction and saying that you can't be around certain, you can't be around white people, if you feel inferior, that's because that's what you choose to do. It has nothing to do with what this law is intending to do or anything else. It says, the argument also assumes that social prejudice may be overcome by legislation and that equal rights cannot be secured to the Negro except by enforced commingling of the two races. We cannot accept this proposition. Now, I agree with the court in that you cannot legislate social prejudice outside of, out of someone's heart. That's not how you do it. You have to do it a different way. You cannot pass laws to change people's hearts. Um, but the court then goes on to say, so as long as we have, we have laws on the books, whatever people assume or however they want to look at the situation, that's on them. The court goes on to say again, it says if the two races are to meet upon terms of social equality, so if they're supposed to appear to be the same to each other, um, it must be the result of natural affinities in mutual appreciation of others' merits and a voluntary consent of individuals. In other words, on the low, what the court is saying, black people, if you want us to respect you, then you need to make yourself respectable. So why is this case important? It's important for a few reasons. One, it established a separate but equal or Jim Crow law. So this ushered in Jim Crow legally, Jim Crow. And I may do a, I may do a video on the history of Jim Crow. Where does that come from? Cause this comes from a menstrual uh, character anyway. But so it, it ushered in, it's established as law, separate but equal. Secondly, it also shows um, to me what's, I think as a civil rights attorney, which has always hit home for me, is that no matter what laws they pass to protect you in one year, the court can come along and completely interpret it in such a way that it completely loses its teeth and you have no rights the next year. A lot of the situation that you had going on as far as like this social movement to take this case to the Supreme Court with Plessy happened with the Brown case. And I remember during my um, case or my class in law school, I was asking people, what's the difference? Why did it work in 1954, but not in 1896? It was, it was a lot of the same argument, a lot of, you know, the situation is test case taking up challenging segregation. Why did it work in 1954, but not in 1896? And what can we learn from that? Like I said, one thing is that you can't rest on the fact that a law has been passed or even that a court ruled a particular way because a new court will come and or a new legislator will come and completely undo what was done before. And then thirdly, I think it's important because it again shows the court's unwillingness to put the issue of race and racism in its proper context and to show that it is related to slavery and that the separation isn't just a magical thing that appeared, but it's, it's connected to slavery and connected to this idea of black people being inferior. And then more importantly, I think it also shows again how the court and the whole system is really seeing racism as something that exists within the minds of black people. It's our burden, when in reality, racism is the burden of white people. It is something that they keep in their minds 
and they're using it against black people. Um, and so now it has become our burden, or at least it's a shared, bur shared burden, but the way that this history, legally at least, and socially, has addressed racism and is this solely the burden of black people. And that can't be the case. And as long as that's the case, um, we're gonna keep having these issues, which is what you will see next week in our next case. If you would like to know more about the subject, I again have more books for you. Two of them are oldies but goodies. Of course, I have to start with my Black Trials. You should get this book. I can't stress this enough. It's a great book. It's a wonderful book. Um, also, this one I, re I introduced last week, Inherently Unequal, which dealt with like the civil rights cases and Plessy as well, and sort of the false promises, not promises, the betrayal. I like that word, betrayal. And how the court system let us down um, during this period. Despite the wonderful laws that we had, the court system decided it wanted to interpret the life out of it. And then finally, this book, We As Freedmen, um, deals specifically and only with the case of Plessy versus Ferguson. It's a really great read. If you like this video, please be sure to hit the like button or whatever button it is. If you're on YouTube, please make sure that you subscribe to this page so that you'll never miss anything. Um, if you're watching on Instagram and you missed something, you can go to my IGTV and watch the Untold series and catch up on whatever you missed. If you're watching on Facebook and you've haven't already for whatever reason subscribed or follow me make sure you subscribe and follow me i would love to hear from you if you have any comments leave me a comment um if there is a case that you would like me to look at also leave that there as well um i'm on tiktok but for now it's just a little you know my more humorous side but you can follow me there at Paluki's world and be sure to follow me on my blog at palookiesworld.com. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you guys stay tuned for next week when we look at more cases. I think next week we will be finally in the 20th century. All right, take care. God bless. This week's episode was produced and narrated by me. Special thanks to Brian Gurley for the use of his music and for mixing the audio. To watch the video series that inspired this podcast, head over to my blog, palookiesworld.com, and make sure you subscribe. For more information on the series, like how do you spell Palookie, please check out the show notes. Finally, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you never miss an episode.